Revelation chapter 3 is where we're at, beginning with verse 14. Let me get all my ammo lined up here. Man, I just sense a spirit of expectation. There's just something burning. Mm. Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot, and I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Remember, we're not concentrating on the vomit here. We're concentrating on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, traditionally, every time I've heard this preached, it's just dealing with God's upset and going to throw you up. How many of you know God has better things to do than that? He will bring consequences into your situation, but always to remove anything that hinders His love from penetrating your life, okay? So, and He says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you, I counsel you, to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see, and as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want you to put your Bible down for a minute. We're going to pray. Just sense an urgency in the spirit today. I uh, wish I could come to you with a bunch of jokes, but there's just God has so much more for us than meeting in a school on a Sunday morning, patting each other on the back and saying, "Good job, good worship, wow, great offering, we did it again." God, that is not His design for His body. His body is to be an overcoming, forward-marching, hell-penetrating people. And uh, we're going to talk really straight to you today. I just need to tell you the reason you need to pray is last week on the south side after we were so, you guys were so good and such an elegant time and we spoke the word, got up to preach on the south side, same message, same everything, and the Holy Spirit literally interrupted that thing. And I sensed the same thing here this morning and it wasn't one of those, ooh, joyous, let's come to the altar and celebrate. There was a call for repentance, a call to deal with the issues that are in our lives that are hindering the love of God from penetrating our hearts. And we are entering into a time in the history of this planet where God is about to do something. There's going to be great days. There's going to be terrible days. It's the great and terrible day of the Lord. But it's all pointing to that moment and that time when Jesus takes His rightful place again as King of kings and Lord of lords in this world. 
And I think the church is just in a slumber right now. I just feel that there's a spirit of slumber and and there needs to be an awake, O sleeper type word come to your spirit. I can't do that. I think it's so wrong sometimes of preachers trying to impart and put their passion on a people that aren't ready to receive it. The only way you can receive truth imparted is if you allow the Holy Spirit to plow up the ground of your heart. God's up to something. Our week started a little bit weird this week because Monday morning after we'd had such a great day Sunday, Monday morning Mama got up and I'd gone down to get her coffee and she's holding an email in her hand and I said, man, you hit the computer quick today. And uh, she says, you better read this, Dad. And as you know, we were, we've were we been anticipating our youngest daughter who's been in Kansas City for three months on an internship. We were anticipating because she's kind of our right hand in many things in the church, especially in worship and and with the youth and been, been Brian's right hand and really dealing with things. We were excited. She'd gotten charged up. Maybe she's coming home. And the email said, Dear Dad and Mom, there is a call and a voice higher than yours, and I must respond to that. And she is going to be staying in Kansas City and, and being a part of International House of Prayer for quite a while. And that kind of, like, that's my baby. I'm thinking, wow, God, uh, a little bit expensive there. Um, what's next? And I won't go into it, but there was more this week that he required of us. But I want you to know something. God is up to something. He's, he's going to get a generation that is so sold out to him. And it's not just young people. It's, it's a wide, it's, it's those breathing, man. That's a generation. And God is wanting to so interrupt our, our everyday lives. So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to hopefully get into the word today. But I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit. For some of you, you're so, I'm just going to be honest. Some of you are so entrenched in your, what you believe church is. And in the tradition of church, that if Jesus himself showed up bodily, I'm kind of afraid you wouldn't get it. And I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you, there's more to it. than. And I look at some of you, you're, you're much older than me. Not a lot, but I mean, if you were much older than me, you'd, you'd be in bad shape. But uh, you're older, and, and, and I, love, I love what you bring, but I want you to know something. Jesus is more than just what you experienced 25, 30 years ago. He's moved on. There is a new wave of God happening, and we're going to see these waves come periodically and with more ferociousness and with more power each time because it's building up to something. The more wickedness there is, the more outpouring of God there's going to be. Amen? And we can't be stuck in a traditional way of thinking that says, this is how God is going to work. When God is going to work, how He's going to work. And so I just want us to pray. And I want you to begin to just pray right now. If you know how to pray, I'm asking you to pray. Um, There are many of you who do know how to intercede, and I'm asking you right now, to step into that role. And let's just pray for our church and pray for our, the message today. Let's pray for what God is doing on the, on the south side. Sunday morning was, last Sunday morning was really crazy because of the call to repentance. And, and it wasn't one of those yay days. It was, one, oh man, you really did that, didn't you? That is scaring me. And so let's just go to the Lord. Can we do that? 
For some of you, for in our interaction together, this is new, but this is me. So let's just go. Come on. Jesus, we come to your throne. <laughs> oh, God. And we enter boldly into your throne this morning based upon the fact that on a hill called Calvary, your son shed his blood. And you tell us in Hebrews 10:19 that we have a new and living way into your throne. And we walk this morning into your throne room with boldness and asking, oh God, let your grace come to this house this morning. Jesus, awaken my heart. Your word says that there, that there are times that we're not supposed to awaken love before it's time, but I believe, God, in my own life and the life of our church, it's time to awaken love. It's time to awaken our hearts, God, to what you have. And I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would come in power. You would come in your grace and your mercy, God, to our ears and to our heart. Your word says, let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what it is the Spirit is saying. And God, we get on our elephant ears this morning, God. We fine-tune our hearing that we may hear what it is the Spirit is saying to the church. And above all that, open our eyes that we may see Jesus. We need a revelation of His beauty and of His grace and of His glory that far outshines anything in our culture that's around us. Lord, You see the spiritual condition that hangs over the Portland-Vancouver metro area. You see, oh God, and we could extol on and on about how bad it is. But God, that's not the issue. The issue is how good You are, how great You are, how powerful You are. The issue is that greater are You in us than He that is in the world. The issue is that the, earth, the heavens are Your throne and the earth... Portland, Vancouver is your footstool. The issue is, Jesus, that you've put all things under your feet. You've brought all things under your command. You've brought all things under your authority. And this morning, Jesus, we enthrone you as ruler over our hearts this morning through our praise and through our adoration of you and who you are. I am asking God in the days and weeks that come that you would break through sovereignly into your your church in Portland, Vancouver, God. I pray that this Christmas it won't be just tinsel and wrapping paper, but it will be flooded with the power of an almighty God who comes to change things. I'm asking God you would make the comfortable uncomfortable. I'm asking, oh God, that you would manifest yourself in such a way that our pride and our arrogance and our traditional way of thinking will be brought to your feet and all things will become new. Lord, there's people within the sound of my voice, the stagnancy of their relationship with You. It's been so long since they warmed their lives by the fire of Your Word and felt Your fire inside of them burning out all the stuff, oh God, that they've become just literally a stagnant pond where Your Word says that out of our belly was to flow rivers of living water. There's become a stagnant pond, oh God, where nothing lives. God, I am asking that You begin that work in me. 
You begin that work in me. You begin that work in Elizabeth and Brian and Jen and the elders of this church. God, we did not come to Camas. We did not come to Portland the last few years to be just another house of worship. We did not come to compete or be anything of anybody else. We did not come with another brand or another way of thinking. We have come with open hearts and open minds saying, God, if you can do it in that part of the world and that part of the world. You're not too small. You're not too unequipped to do it in Portland, Vancouver. And I am asking this morning, God, that you would spark within the heart of your people a new dream of the presence of God, a new dream of what would happen if Jesus was allowed to show up at his church, because right now he's outside of his church and he's knocking diligently, wanting to come in and wanting to fellowship with us and have intimate relationship with us that will ultimately change our lives. God, I'm asking this morning, I'm asking for something out of the box. I'm asking for something out of the norm. I'm asking God not for things as usual, but God, would you not come in your mercy and your grace and change us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. This is part three of They Just Came for the Donuts. As you know, the, this message was actually started with conversation with the 12-year-old boy in Lathrop, Missouri, where we have our other little church there, and, and uh, his dad's the pastor of that church, and Isaac had started a Bible study in the high school there, in the junior high, and 23 kids had shown up, and they started showing up the next two, three weeks, and he came home one day all dejected and depressed, and his dad says... Hey, Isaac, what's wrong? And he says, Dad, they're not coming for the Bible study. They're just coming for the donuts. And uh, his dad called me up. In fact, I talked to Isaac last week on the phone. And I love talking to him because he's at that age where his, he, you know, he's going through that special time of life for his voice. He can't control whether it's up, you know, hi, Pastor, you know. <laughs> and uh, known Isaac since he was a baby. And uh, so we talked about donuts again this week, and, and he, it was just really incredible. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to me saying, Steve, that's what's going on in your church. People are coming every Sunday morning. They come for donuts. They come for what they get out of it. They come as long as it is staying sweet, as long as it stays fairly tasty, and within the realm of the culture, where it's not odd to the culture, then it's okay. And we began a journey two weeks ago, and we, we pick it up this morning. And I want to talk about, first of all, let's don't focus on the vomit. I know that's a horrible word, but it's a Bible word. And, uh, you know, we're not going to focus on the vomit. God does not love. I just want to start right out, because when we get into this, some of you are going to go, whoa, this is messed up. Uh, God does not love to chastise. He's not up in, up in the heaven Leaning over and say, Gabriel, do you see that? That pastor down there made a mistake. Whack him and whack him hard. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to smack him. No, God's not like that. God doesn't love to chastise us. Now, I do want to help you with a little side note. You need to become a student of the Word in this area of chastisement and correction. Because here's the deal. All of my life, I was raised with a very strict father, and I think, God for it, although it placed in me some things that the Holy Spirit later had to remove. But here's the deal. 
I never questioned the love aspect in that if you've ever had a parent who ignored you, it's hard to believe they love you. Come on. We deal with broken kids. Um, and I can tell you that the majority of kids that we deal with, especially in inner city Portland, um, in fact, last week a, a young man wanders in, 29 years of age to our Tuesday night service, wanders in, and this guy is just out of his mind. And you just start talking to him, 29 years of age, disconnect with family, disconnect with father, disconnect with mother, and all this stuff. See, when parents ignore children, they don't feel loved. And Hebrews 12 tells me, verse 5, that if a fa- whom a father loves, he chastens. And let me just give you a principle here. Every time that I've been in a situation where I desperately needed the correction of God in my life, when that correction came, there was literally a sigh of relief in me that said, you love me. Thank you. Come on. We are so afraid of correction in our culture today. We're so afraid of being refitted and pushed another direction by those in authority over us that we resist and we rebel correction. And I want you to know, God doesn't love to chastise. He, he doesn't. That's not. Instead, He loves it when we reach out to overcome. He loves it when we don't have to necessarily go to the woodshed with Him. He loves it when we say out of our heart, you know what, I know this isn't where I need to be, and I reach out, and I want to be an overcomer. I want to change where I'm at right now. God, I need Your help to change me. And some of you in this room, I'm just going to be very candid this morning, some of you in this room have so moved so far of the loving correct uh, from the loving correction of a God who simply wants to remove anything that would hinder love in you that when he does come you kind of get a little bit uppity with him saying and in the first words out of your mouth is God why are you doing this to me I'm going to answer that question for you because he is absolutely head over heels in love with you Now, the modern American church doesn't want to hear that. They want to hear a positive word and confess a positive thing about something, friends, that is very negative in your life. You hearing me? That's why Jesus in this, this word to this church in Laodicea, and remember we, we dealt with what Laodicea meant. It meant rule of the people. When we are in charge and ruling our life, things can go sideways real fast. And so he wanted these people to understand that, that his rule was the only thing that was going to change them. But you'll notice here, he doesn't demand it. He says, I counsel you. I recommend. It's a scary thing to me to be in a spiritual place where all God's going to do is recommend. I always knew when I was in big trouble with my dad. You know how it was? He would look, I have my dad's eyes, and he would look me in the eye, and he was a tough guy. And he'd just say, fine, do it your way. For some reason, that just put a fear in me, thinking, and I, I, well, what do you mean? Do it your way, consequences are yours, you clean up your mess. I remember one day, one time, 
I, I, you know, him and I got into about cars all the time. And he bought me a really cool car. And uh, I, was, I was a place I shouldn't be with that car. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a parking lot where the, you pull up to park and there's the, the, you got the curb and then there's like a, a drop-off, you know? Well, in my wondering, most magnificent way, I launched that car to where the oil pan is sitting on the curb and it's rocking back and forth about to drop three feet off. So I climb out gingerly and I was where I wasn't supposed to be. And I remember finding a... We didn't have cell phones. You find a pay phone. Uh, Dad, um, I got the Mustang kind of stuck a little bit. Um, where are you? Uh, okay. And I tell him the location. And he goes, I'll have fun getting it home. Click. With him, there wasn't even a recommendation. Click. When you're in that spot where you're teetering between disaster and you've got there because of your own driving, you've got there because of your own rule, isn't it good that at least God counsels you? That He comes to recommend to you? I'd much rather be in the relationship, though, where He's able to say, don't do that. Where my ear is attuned to Him saying, you know, the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, 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 no. But if I've been so to myself so long that all God can... Because that's what the Laodiceans were. They were in a spot spiritually where he, you notice the other churches he, made the, he could demand of them. He could lay it out. This is what I'm going to do. Not with these guys. He says, I'm going to recommend to you that you buy. And so we're at a spot here. God does not love to chastise. He wants us to overcome. There needs to be an awakening to our lukewarm condition and its consequences. And the worst consequence, I think, of lukewarmness is being desensitized to what is around me. And the church in the Northwest is very desensitized to what is around us. We are very unattached. It's got to the point where blatant sin in front of us does not even disturb us. We just look the other way and move on, friends. There's no yes in our spirit to change the things in our lives, and there's no no in our spirit to walk away and to do something about what we see. We need to understand that becoming desensitized is one of the major problems of being lukewarm. When you're desensitized, you cannot respond to your present condition. It has to be shown to you. There has to be a revelation of exactly who you are and what you are. One of the most painful things you will experience in your life is when God begins to pull back the curtain a little bit. And in prayer, as you're praying, as you're walking with God, He begins to show you through His love and His love. You'll find when you've... I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people, oh, we want a move of God. We want God to overwhelm us with His love. Really? Is that what you really want? Do you, because re- you're thinking emotions, woohoo, you know, I mean, and a move of God's a party. No doubt about it. However, the moves of God that are coming and have already started on this planet, the first thing is He pours out His love and then He starts pulling back the curtain. Yes. 
He says, let me show you something about you. And the terror that can grip your heart as you see the truth of who you are, friends, sometimes is very devastating. But that's why Dr. Jesus is right there, ready to apply healing balm to that area of your life. As he, friends, he will not expose anything that he's not ready to heal. He will not expose anything in you that he is not going to heal. In fact, when He exposes it, start rejoicing. He's about to heal you in that area. When He exposes something, get ready. Because if you will turn to Him, He's ready right then to change that thing in your life that has hindered His love. Now hear me. The next trademark, besides becoming desensitized, complacency becomes the trademark of a lukewarm Christian. It has to do, now listen, with how I respond to truth. You see, truth should penetrate our lives, right? I can tell whether or not I'm complacent or desensitized by if you tell me the truth and I don't respond properly to it. Have you ever had somebody just light you up? I mean, just really light you up and tell you what they thought of you? Come on. For some of you, it happened a couple days ago. I know. I'll go through months of just everybody loves me and then we'll hit a patch where, you know, uh, yeah. And uh, the sheep are biting and it's just a real ugly thing, you know. And, And here's the deal. How I respond to truth shows whether or not I'm complacent in my spirit. If I respond wrongly to truth, that means a complacency is set into my Christian walk. You ever go through criticism? Anybody ever been criticized? Let me tell you something. How you respond to criticism, and that's something I have struggled with all my life, how you respond to it. And a man helped me out one day. He taught, he taught this principle. If you, if you study in Leviticus, when a woman, if a woman was accused of adultery in the Levitical law, they would bring her in and they would have her drink this drink that if she was guilty, the Bible says it would rot her thigh. She'd, she'd start getting rotting in her thigh. And, and, but if she wasn't there, she, it would just be fine and she'd be okay. The next time somebody criticizes you, this is going to tell you whether you're complacent in your spirit. If somebody criticizes you and it starts a rotting in your heart or you get bitter, upset, kind of ugly about it, you just you didn't pass the bitter water test. You just flunked it. And that tells us that there's a complacency in our spirit. We're not walking in an honest relationship with Jesus because the Bible says He's the way, the truth, and the life. When I'm walking with Jesus, He is such a good friend that He will tell me the truth about me. He will be able to speak directly in my life and say, you need to awaken that. You need to bring that to the fire. You need to get more into you, the, my Word to where you're literally warming yourself on a daily basis where you're being thawed out. You're not complacent. But if I'm complacent and somebody lays one on me, I'll tell you what, when it starts coming out of my mouth, all of a sudden I realize, whoa, I'm flunking the bitter water test. 
Anybody ever flunk that test? <laughs> Some of you it rotted both thighs and a kidney or two. Complacency is the trademark of a lukewarm Christian. It has to do with how I respond to truth. Is there ongoing heart action after I encounter truth? When you have encountered the truth of God, is it just, wow, that was a good encounter, and keep walking the same direction? Or after you've encountered the truth of God in your life, is there an ongoing action starting to take place in your heart? Is there a hunger that begins to develop? Saying, you know what, I don't want to stay in this place. I don't like this place. This is an ugly place. And I've encountered the truth. And so I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to keep after the action that God has started in my life. That's where a donut eater gets in trouble. Because a donut eater who comes to church and just wants the sweetness of fellowship and the high of the sugar high of some nicely placed word, when they do encounter truth, by Monday the donut taste is gone and they're hungry for something else. But when I encounter truth, and I keep going after truth, that is a way that I'm going to be able to fight the lukewarmness in my life. There is an absence of hunger because you don't recognize your hunger. Now, <laughs> you've been filled and you're full with donuts and you don't want a real meal. How many of you, your mother ever told you, as she, my grandmother was just, Man, she could get all up in your face if she she was old fashioned cook, you know, and she she was she was out of the Midwest, and so when she would she had you know eight kids and five of them were big strapping guys, and you know when Grandma, I mean, just cooking breakfast, I mean, she could feed the five thousand with just what she made for breakfast, you know. But I tell you what, if she was making dinner, and you came into her kitchen and she caught you snacking. Oh my goodness! It, it was like you might have you broke the law, and call nine one one. She's flipping out. You know why? And these were exact words. You've heard it, people. You've heard it from your own moms. Some of you have said it to your own kids. Don't eat nothing; it'll spoil your dinner. Well, guess what? And I do apologize on behalf of pastors who have not indict them because I've been one of those in the past who spoiled your dinner by giving you fluff and stuff and donuts instead of the true milk and meat of the word that will nourish your soul and change you for eternity. Prepare you in your internship of this life for an eternal life that is going to be overcoming and very productive. There has to come a point where we quit spoiling our dinner and we start coming to God and asking God, God, I need the meat of Your Word in my life. I need depth. I need food without holes in it. Whoa, come on, Lord. God always requires of those who follow Him... He requires a solid commitment. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua stands before the people of Israel and he cries out to them. He says, choose you this day who you'll serve. As for me and my house, we have decided to follow God. And I'm telling you, the Spirit is speaking to His church again. And it's going to come harder 
and faster and more louder and more clearer. He, I'm just going to tell you right now, he's going to start interrupting your daily activity. Bob, when we were talking this week at your house about the days of renewal, when you would sit in front of the TV and you'd pop in the video and the presence of God would come and you'd just be kind of blubbering in your soup. And, and I remember DJ and Susan, they were with us when we went through our, re, our revival times. And, and I can tell you something, friends. That was then, but God has something. He's got more than that for us on the plate right now. It's ready to be served, but we've been spoiling our dinner with all the stuff. And he's got a full meal deal ready to give to his church, but his church has got to get hungry for it. There has to be a change in how we look at things. We are so caught up in the lukewarmness of our culture that when God does start a fire in us, it takes two days at work to blend right back in. Because there's no hunger, there's no fight in us to say, what God has done, I'm going to hang on to. I'm going to hang on to. One of the questions that I have for people that were barking about revival and saying, oh, you know, this will never last or whatever. Well, you know what? It won't last if you criticize it. It won't last if you get too involved, if you try to make it just part of the side dish. Now, I know you don't know this, but but I think you do. I've shared it with you. My heritage is is from just a little island, a little, little country, and the men wear skirts. I have studied every revival that has ever been in the nation of Scotland. That's where I, my grandmother was born and raised. And I, I tell you what, the Hebrides movement and all of that over to, the, to Wales where, where Evan Roberts, and I'm going to tell you something, what would have happened to this planet if people wouldn't have just shut it off, but it would have embraced what God was doing. But you see, lukewarmness comes into our life and we, can't, we say that can't continue. Come on. By 300 B.C., what God had done at Pentecost had literally been drained to where Constantine begins to make rules and regulations for how the church was to be that would forever alter the church until 1500, a a priest comes and, and, and nails a thesis on the church door that said the just shall live by faith. We are in line, friends, for a new reformation of God in the church of Jesus Christ that we'll start nailing a new thing on the door of our heart the just shall live by faith and I'm hungry for God and I'm not leaving until I eat do you hear the word of the Lord today God is wanting to do something more than just pass by and do his thing to you claiming to belong to the Lord these believers depend on flesh to sustain what they will not submit to him danger when I am passive I readily accept the climate around me I acclimate fairly easy. I hear truth, but acclimate it to my surroundings and my desires. I hear truth, but I got to do this and I got to do this. And there's this show on TV I got to watch. And there's this thing I got to go to. And that thing I got to do. And this thing I. And pretty soon, truth, instead of setting the stage and the course for how I'm going to walk, we drag the truth through the mud with us and acclimate that truth to our surroundings instead of us bending to the truth. And thus we wind up lukewarm 
and unfortunately nauseating to God. That whole concept blows my mind that I could give God a stomachache. That scares me. You know, I have a vivid imagination. Can you imagine? Have you ever thought of this? God's sitting on his throne and says, Gabriel, can you, can you grab me the Helka-Seltzer? Steve is really, I'm about to blow chunks. That's not what God desires. When I'm passive, passivity, and this, this, we're going we're to end here in a few minutes, but passivity, now listen to me, I want every eye up here, this, come on, focus in. This is, this is something that I'm going to say on both sides today. Last week they weren't ready over there to take it because God was cleaning house. Literally cleaning house. Sins were being exposed and dealt with just like that. Here's the deal. Passivity brings a false unity. And here's how it brings a false unity. As long as you don't disturb me, I won't disturb you, and we'll be friends. The first thing that will bring division in a church is a move of God and somebody in the church getting hungry for God because they'll be labeled a radical, a kook, a weirdo, a fringe person. And you know what? And our passivity keeps a false unity going. And I'm done, friends, with caring what you think about me and what I think about you. I long for the days when the church comes together, not for show, but the church comes together as a group of people who are hungry for God on a new level that's, that's lining up with what's going on in the Scripture according to the age and the time in which we live, where God says, in the last days I will pour out My Spirit upon all flesh. One of the things that has been the most exciting thing to me as a dad is watching my youngest kid suddenly just begin to prophesy and to speak the word of the Lord with a clarity. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I'll take a little bit of that, God. I'll take a little portion of that. But the Lord says, listen, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters and your handmaidens, and I'm going to just dump it all on them. You know what's going on, friends? God's trying to get the church aligned so that He can start the pouring. He can start, and it's going to take some prayer. It's going to take more than just some prayer. One of the things I told the staff this week. Karen, you better come to give these people hope. Um, she, 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 I, we, in our staff meeting this week, Brian was explaining to us some of the things that we deal with on a daily basis with, the, with our, our youth. and our, We've got a huge college age now group of kids coming in. and We've got this group of guys that have been showing up on Tuesday night. I don't know where they came from. But now there's about seven or eight of them. They're just 19, 20 years old. The only reason, they're, 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 there's nothing there for them on Tuesday nights except there's something drawing in their heart. The last three weeks I've watched them in the back. They sit in the back and two weeks ago as the Spirit of God was moving on Tuesday nights, I looked over and three or four of them were like this. They had their hand. Last Tuesday night it was like this. You see, here's what's going on. God's wanting the church to get in alignment with where He's at right now. He's saying, listen, you've been so lukewarm. 
that I, I'm kind of seasick from you, and I want you to start the struggle against the stronghold of lukewarmness. Here's what I'm going to recommend you do. I'm going to recommend you better get some gold, some faith that's been tried in the fire. Some of you have gone through some really horrendous things in the last year, year and a half, two years. I want you not to look at that as a negative situation, but I want you to look at it. Kimmy, I want you to see it, that God is putting your faith through the fire. He's wanting to give you a gold that will buy your way into the things of God. And it comes from faith that's been tried in the fire. Angel, it comes through faith that's been tried in the fire. The clear word that will come again from you will be tried in the fire of humility and things that have gone on. God is wanting to do a change, friends. And He's wanting us to start coming against the stronghold of lukewarmness and say, no more. As for me and my house... We're stopping right now. This week will be a different week for us. Because we're not going to walk out of here this morning and pass off the truth and say, wow, that was a good word. It's time for good words to stop, friend, and for the word to start getting active in our life. We need active word, not good word. We need word that's still going Tuesday. We need word that's still going Thursday and Friday. We need word that's moving in our lives a new direction and taking our feet off of the path that we've been on to we're on the path that God has for us. God's wanting to do a new thing. God's wanting to change us. God's wanting to do something in us. But it is going to literally take us staying out of a false unity. Let me tell you something, and I don't want you to take this wrong. Hear my heart. But we're six months into our relationship, and so it's each, each Sunday we move a little bit further where we're a little more open. If I was on the south side, I wouldn't even grimace saying what I'm about to say, but i got to do it. i got to go, okay, Jesus, give us grace. <laughs> Not all friendships in church are good friendships. What? What? Let me tell you something. If God's working in your heart and you come to church and Sister McGillicuddy sits next to you and by the time church is over, you're going, whoa, whoa, I, you know, God, I thought I was doing fine, but man, she had so many problems or she had so many gripes or he had so many, you know, whatever. Friends, that's a false peace. Now, now hear this. Katie, Katie calls us up this week and she was sharing with her mom and I've just been chewing on this. She was in one of her classes there in, in Kansas City and she says, Mom, she says, I've never thought of things this way until I heard it this week. God called us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. She says, peacekeepers will do whatever it is for there to never be a disturbance. But peacemakers come in and go after the root of what's causing the disturbance. And some of you are so into false unity in your lukewarm condition because you're afraid you're going to offend somebody in your life if you get hungry and go after God. Quit being a peacekeeper and go after being a peacemaker. Go after the root of that thing in your life and let, let the chips fall where they may. See, here's the danger. There's going to come a day we're all going to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to give an account of what we've done in our internship here in life. And here's the deal. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 is one of the most sobering words in all of the Word of God. 
Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done this in your name? Have we not done that in your name? And hoping to hear a well done, thou good and faithful servant word, the person's hears, depart from me. I don't know you. You'd give me a bellyache. It caused me to be sick. Why? Because lukewarmness, friends, is that thing that we can go about life supposedly doing the right things in God and be so lukewarm because of a false unity. Let me tell you something. We can even get a false unity in our mind that we have, we're in unity with God. I'm just going to flat out, right up front tell you, you can't be in unity of God and walk in sin. It's impossible. It just won't work. You can't be in unity in God and have something against a brother or sister. You can't be in unity of God and blow off what He's doing in the Spirit. You can't be in unity in God and ignore the pleadings of the Spirit through His Word in this day and age. I want you to stand this morning. Would you put down all your notes? Normally I'd already be in the car heading to the south side, but I'm just going to stay for a minute. They're, they're well equipped to do what they need to do over there. In fact, Sunday, I was so stunned. As I said, I went to, we had in fact gone through the reading of the Word and the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, said these people are not ready to deal with this. One of our guys, one of our most timid guys, um, you know Greg, Mary Jane. Greg is, Greg handles the finances and, uh, but, and he's very good at what he does, but Greg's not a, Greg's not an upfront guy. Greg is Greg. Greg, Greg will grin at you, but you'll never hear him talk very much. About eight weeks ago, Holy Spirit had given him a word. He came to, to Ron, and, and Ron says, man, that's a great word. And so Ron came up to me and I said, man, I, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I, I don't know. And, and so as is our practice, he went back to Greg and says, okay, Greg, take the word, get your Bible, start studying, because God's going to open the door for you to give that word. Sunday morning, I'm standing there and God's saying, shut this thing down. I got office work to do here. I got things I need to take care of in this house. There's sin in this house. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be dealt with. And, and all of a sudden, God says, get Greg up here. <laughs> so Greg came up in his timid way, began to speak the word of the Lord so clear and so precise that it wasted the place. Just literally, I mean, people were coming up. Repent, it was a mess. <laughs> Holy mess. Here's the deal. God is wanting to come to the Camas Church. Two weeks from this morning, we are going to have a merge service here. It'll be, it'll be the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Get your heart ready. God's already promised as the two bodies come together, He's going to deal with it. He's going to come in a new fashion. And you're going to be challenged in the next few weeks again and again and again. Am I going to let my life become lukewarm and just flow with what's going on? Or am I going to resist the stronghold, the stronghold of lukewarmness and say enough is enough? Am I going to resist that stronghold enough that by tonight my Bible's open let me tell you something. You need to get some worship music on your Bible open, get alone, and start warming your heart up. 
Start thawing your heart out. The only thing that's going to thaw it out is the Word of God. And you start, let me tell you something, church service ain't going to thaw it out. Flying somewhere and having somebody pray for you ain't going to thaw it out. It's you and Jesus worshiping and reading His Word and speaking that Word back to Him. That's what's going to thaw you out. That's what's going to turn you on to the things of God. And some of you have relied on all these gimmicks and things and Jesus saying, when I'm coming this time to move in my church, it's going to be because you have warmed yourself up by the fire of my word. You ready? Let's just take a moment. Let's ask God now to penetrate.